businesses have a responsibility to more than the economic value that they deliver, that there's a contract between business and society that needs to be upheld and it needs to be fostered. And that's really the role of corporate social responsibility is to look beyond the economic factors of the business to the other impacts, whether they be social, environmental, community, and to ensure that business is taking those things into account in its everyday operations. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast that aims to redefine and expand the boundaries of a social impact career. I'm Evie, and alongside my co-host, Elise, we are so excited you are joining us in our journey of finding purpose in our professions. Today, we are joined by Erin Felter. Hi, Erin. Hi, we're so excited to welcome you onto our podcast to give a quick overview for our listeners. Erin Felter is the VP of Social Impact and Sustainability at Okta, where she leads the company's ESG function as well as Okta for Good, Okta's social impact initiative. Her leadership include includes Okta's climate strategy, nonprofit business, strategic philanthropy, employee and community engagement, and emerging human rights efforts. Erin has worked at the intersection of business and social impact for over 15 years and has held various corporate social impact roles at Zynga, Yahoo, and Warner Bros. So today we're going to be focusing on two main topics, Erin's journey to corporate social responsibility and her work at Okta for Good, and then her career in corporate social responsibility. So I'm going to start off by asking questions. Erin, you discovered corporate social responsibility more than 15 years ago. For our listeners who may not know what this is, can you please explain and why it's important to you? Sure, happy to. First, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. This is really wonderful and exciting to be with all of you. And yeah, happy to share what I know and have a great conversation. What is corporate social responsibility? I think of it pretty simply. It's been called many things through the years, which we can talk about later. But I think the basic concept is that businesses have a responsibility to more than the economic value that they deliver, that there's a contract between business and society that needs to be upheld and it needs to be fostered. And that's really the role of corporate social responsibility is to look beyond the economic factors of the business to the other impacts, whether they be social, environmental, community, and to ensure that business is taking those things into account in its everyday operations. That's awesome. Thank you for that overview, Erin. Corporate social responsibility. Hopefully our audience now has an idea because it's super important and I think we hear it more and more nowadays in the news and just everywhere. Moving into what you currently do, you work as VP of Social Impact and Sustainability at Okta for Good. And Okta for Good is Okta's social impact arm, which you built from the ground up. Other than working at Okta for Good, you've also worked at Zynga, as we mentioned, and Yahoo. Tell us more about your journey to creating social impact at large corporations. How did you end up here in this corporate social responsibility role and what experiences were key in allowing you to excel at your job? So I didn't even know this was a career. I didn't even know this job existed when I was in, in college, in school, and even for a few years after. So I think, first of all, it's just awesome that you guys are putting this information out there because I think more and more we see that people, especially young people, want to make impact and purpose a part of how they show up in the world and how they build their careers. That was the case for me. But again, I didn't have a lot of resources or knowledge at the time. I discovered corporate social responsibility in my first job, in my first company. Again, I didn't know it existed, never heard of it. I ended up working at Warner Brothers out of college. 
my first job. And I was very lucky that at that time, which is now almost 20 years ago, that company, because of its size, because of its maturity, because of its leadership, actually had a small team thinking about issues like the environment and the environmental impact of the business, thinking about issues like giving back and how the company could engage in philanthropy, thinking about issues like engaging employees in volunteerism. And I discovered this team and it was like everything in my world stopped. And suddenly I had a like moment of clarity. I had to learn everything I could about this work and that this is what I want to do. And prior to that, I had been undergoing what many folks do after college, which is like an existential crisis of what am I going to do with my life? So this was like a very well-timed lightning bolt moment, but that was really it. And it was like a very, I didn't know much at the time. I just had this very surface level, but I think like powerful connection that I made in, in, in terms of, wow, this is a job that certainly sounded more interesting to me and engaging to me than just getting a job to make money or just getting a job to make a company make money. It was like, wow, you can take all of the reach and the scale and the influence of business and of the corporate sector and channel it toward doing good stuff for the world. Like sign me up. That's what I wanted to do. So that was the initial spark. There still aren't very many jobs in this field, but they were far less. 15, 20 years ago. So there was no like open role for me. And I basically just befriended this small little team with the people doing this work. And I took them to coffee and I asked them everything that I could about how they got to where they got to and what their day jobs looked like and what the work was and volunteered to help them with anything that they needed help with. Lead volunteer events, rewrite some website copy, like you name it, I did it. And after a couple of years of badgering them gently, maybe not gently, I was able to move on to the team. And so that was my first move into an official CSR job role. And from there, I was able to grow my career in this space, which I feel so, so lucky to be able to have done. I went back and got an MBA, which helped me round out my background and experience and what I think I needed to do to be able to do this work. Moved into tech, moved into the tech sector up in the Bay Area, which is where I currently work at Okta. And like lots of stumbles and wrong turns along the way. So I don't mean to glaze over it, but that was the sort of initial spark for me. And I think that that idea that initially attracted me to this, which is, wow, there's so much opportunity and so much power in the world of business to be able to apply it to social challenges. That initial spark, which was maybe a little naive at the time, but very true, still stands. Like I still believe that more than ever. And that's what's kept me in this work for so long. And that's why why I continue to do it and encourage others to to invest in it as well. It's awesome to hear that you stumbled into this work and kind of found your calling through just volunteering and then really getting the team to take you on. And now that you have such a successful career in CSR, it's great to know that sometimes the best things happen to us just by accident. Now you work as the Vice President of Social Impact and Sustainability at Octa for Good, and you built this Okta social impact arm. Can you tell us more about Okta, how then you found Okta for Good, and what was the whole process of building this program like? Sure. So Okta is a tech company. We were founded in San Francisco in 2009. The company went public in 2017. And our product is essentially, if you've ever used a single sign-on product, so like a password manager, right? We do that for large enterprises and businesses and also the apps that they build for consumers. So we drive a lot of efficiency and a lot of security in the work that we do. We have a whole host of products that essentially help businesses manage what are increasing security risks for their workforces and their ecosystems. So it's like pretty techy. 
but it's really needed and really essential. And I love it because it's a product that on its own is helpful. It is helpful to people to manage one password instead of 25. It is helpful to people to protect their data and to protect their identities as they're accessing various technologies. So there's like an inherent goodness, I think, in what we do, even though it's not the sexiest of things. But Okta, the other really cool thing about Okta is that this is a company that from the very earliest stages really believed at the leadership level that like giving back was a part of who this company was and having a social impact beyond a business impact was key to how the company was gonna grow. So our founders at Okta, Todd McKinnon, who's our CEO, and Frederick Karras, who's our COO, they founded the company and from the very beginning said, we want to attract the kind of people who want to solve really big, gnarly, hard problems to come work here. And we also want to attract the kind of people who believe that they want to make a positive impact in the world, right? They don't just want to punch in, punch out and go home. And so I think that spirit and that culture has been around since the beginning and it made it very easy later on when the company started to think about going public and reaching that next stage of maturity, it made it very easy for them to make the case to formalize more of a social impact effort. Around 2016, the company took something called the 1% pledge, which for folks out there listening, if you're trying to learn about companies that have social impact arms, or you're trying to find jobs at companies that have social impact arms, the one pledge 1% ecosystem is a really useful place to go because it's essentially a collection of companies all around the world who've committed 1% in quotes, sometimes it's more, 1% uh, employee time in the form of volunteerism, 1% of product and or 1% of their financial assets, profits or revenues to giving back. And so this was a commitment Okta made early. And basically right before they went public, there was equity set aside specifically for doing philanthropy. There was donations of Okta's technology to nonprofits, which now we have a very large thriving nonprofit customer base, and there was a commitment to volunteerism. This was a super important signal that the company set that said, this is who we are. And any employee who wants to come work here, any customer that wants to do business with us and any investor that wants to buy Okta, you should know that this is what we believe in. This is what we stand for. And it's really powerful. So that signal setting was step one. They then opened up a single position, one person to come run social impact at Okta. That is the position I applied for. And I was very lucky to get. And so I joined right after, right before the company went public in 2017 to essentially take that pledge and take that signal and take all those assets that had been pledged to do good, to give back to the community and to make a program out of it that could grow with the company. And so that's what I've been able to do. It's been like one of the most wonderful experiences in my career to build something from scratch. It really enabled me to take all the good and bad lessons that I had learned through the years at other companies and apply them, build something that I felt like I could be proud of and that the company could be proud of and our founders could be proud of. And it's been awesome. We're a team of about 10 now. We now encompass everything from those sort of initial giving back philanthropic commitments that I talked about to ESG and climate work and sustainability, which we added about three years ago, as that has become more and more a focus for every business and every organization. And then we also run our, like I said, our nonprofit business. So when we donate and sell to nonprofit customers, our team looks after that as well. So it's really cool. That's so great to hear, Erin. Thanks for sharing. It's really powerful to hear how from the very beginning, Okta has prioritized impact with the 1% pledge. And then of course, your team right before the IPO going public, and then now you're a team of 10 people, which is really sizable, right? Because I feel like often with companies, it's not the 1% pledge. I don't hear that as much, or it's 
one person and perhaps they're not really given the resources or the team to really make impact. But clearly it's a priority at Okta and that must be a great place where you have actually space and opportunities to be creative and create all of those impacts. So great to hear. We'd love to hear a little bit more about it, specifically any initiatives that you can share under Okta for Good that you've created, perhaps some that you're most proud of. And if you could tell us too about how you guys think about measuring impact on your team through these initiatives. Yes, absolutely. In the early days of Okta for Good, when it was just me, I spent a lot of time with our founders. And this was very, like I said, very personal for them. And I always say like they were really involved in all the ways I, that were helpful, like making sure I had support sitting down and like brainstorming on like the sort of core values and the strategy we wanted to take forward. But they were also really great in being very hands-off when it came to how anything got done and like trusting me and trusting the team, which was a gift. But in those early days, we sat down a bunch and we're just talking about like, what do we want to do with this? Yes, there's money now. And yes, there's employee resources. And yes, we have this product we're going to give away to nonprofits, but What's our impact we want to make? It could be anything, right? It's a blank slate. And I'll never forget when the first meetings where we were talking about this, I was presenting a bunch of options. We could do this. We could do that. Just to feel these guys out because I was new with them. And our CEO, Todd, who is an engineer by background. So he's an engineer CEO, which is like a really cool, interesting, unique setup. He's very thoughtful. He thinks before he speaks, which is nice, a nice quality in a CEO. And he's really pragmatic. It's not about like his name or Octa's name in shiny lights. It's just about what makes sense. We were sitting in this meeting and I presented all these options. And he said, he said, if we can do all these things, sure. But if we're not helping nonprofits be better with technology first, what are we doing? That's who we are. That's what we know. We should do that first and then the other stuff can come. And it was just so clear and it made so much sense. And it cleared the way for our team to just focus on what the company is good at. And that's what every company should really do is think about what's your core competency? What is your gift to the world? And then how do you apply that to social or environmental, like external needs? So that's where we started. And that's really what we've invested. I would say the most over the years. So you say, what are you most proud of? We have deployed Octus technology to thousands of nonprofit organizations. Many of them are getting it totally for free. And we've built programs to enable them to implement it, which is not always easy in a nonprofit when you don't have a lot of resources. And all of that work, again, behind the scenes, infrastructure, not super sexy, not super visible, but it's helping these organizations be more efficient. It's helping them be more secure and do what they need to do best, right? Not focus on IT, but focus on what their missions are. So that's like really wonderful. And I think one of the core pieces of what we do, and then to complement that, we took that equity that was set aside before the IPO that then became millions and millions of dollars to give away over the last six years. And we've put a large chunk of it toward broad technology enablement for the social sector. So while we're helping our direct customers one-to-one be more efficient, be more secure with Okta, we are also at the same time, philanthropically funding organizations who are helping a much broader swath of nonprofits around the world implement technology, whether it's octaves or not, we don't necessarily care at that level, but we want the social sector to be more efficient, more protected, better enabled to do what they do. And so we've been funneling a large chunk of our philanthropy through that over the years. And we built some incredible relationships with organizations like NetHope, which services the humanitarian, like 
the largest humanitarian organizations in the world and their tech teams. With organizations like Fast Forward, which is on the other end of the spectrum, a tech nonprofit accelerator. So Fast Forward is identifying high potential startups that are nonprofits that are building original tech for social impact solution and helping get to scale. So those are a couple of examples of the kinds of partners we fund on that side of the house. But I think overall, this idea that enabling nonprofits with tech is like not something at the top of everybody's list, but it's super critical when you think about these are the organizations that hold us all up and hold our communities up. And we need to make sure that they don't get left behind when it comes to tech. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. It's really strategic to think about what is the value add that your organization has and how you can actually spin that kind of impact lens on it. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. It's just so fascinating to hear about your different programs. And we're going to talk a little bit more about generally corporate social responsibility. And you've been in this field for the past decade now. How has the idea of like corporate responsibility changed over this time? And what are your predictions mm -hmm. for its future trajectory? I think this is like probably the most interesting time to be in this space, in the history of this space. Let me just say that. It, there's a lot going on. To give a very brief history of CSR, I think originally, decades and decades ago, it was like, it was really giving back. It was like something you did when you were a big, stable, profitable company and you'd maybe set up a foundation and you'd give away some money. And it might or not be aligned to like your core business strategy, but it was the right thing to do. It was being a good corporate citizen. There were some sort of employee benefits to that. Maybe there were some community benefits to that and licensed to operate benefits to that, but it was pretty separate from the core business. When I came onto the scene in 2005-ish, 2006-ish in this space, there was, I would say the first wave of new thinking around how impact or corporate responsibility could be aligned to strategy. And there was this idea of creating shared value at the time. There was like a great HBR article around 2006 that came out about creating shared value. And it was like, hey, you can grow your business and do good things for the world. And if you're smart and strategic, those things can go together and you can actually do both. And that was like really, I think, part of the intellectual spark that pulled me into this. It, it was, the giving back part was like where my heart was. But this idea that you could be strategic and actually grow a business along with doing good for the world, like really sparked my imagination and my brain on, on things. And then you saw like the era of CSR. And then we all started calling each other corporate impact professionals instead of corporate responsibility professionals, because impact was a little bit more like proactive and forward and innovation oriented. It's all the same thing. But that was the term, and that's still the term I use in my job title. I think what's really interesting now, though, and where we've been in the last few years, we've really seen this accelerate, is this shift to ESG and this concept of environmental social governance, like becoming the umbrella under which all these sort of purpose, impact, and responsibility pieces fit and sustainability. And the shift there is ESG is a term from like the finance community and the investment community. It's really been in the past, like this way to look at the non-financial impacts of companies and risks so that investors or financial analysts can look at companies and determine like how successful or how risky they are outside of just the core financial metrics. It's gaining steam now because the world is catching up to all the stuff that those of us in this space have known for 20 years, which is like companies do have impacts on the world outside of the economic and also there are changes happening in the world that are putting risk back onto companies. Climate is the biggest number one example of this. Companies are both 
in some cases, contributors to climate change, right? And we want to address that. But also the climate changing is putting risk back onto businesses, risks to continuity. If there's a natural disaster and their employees can't get to work or servers go down or there's a whole host of things. The finance community, the investment community is starting to look at that and say, oh, wow, like we should actually be asking business and we should actually be measuring in a like, consistent way how we understand those risks from the business to the world and also from the world back to the business. And so that's what you're starting to see. So we're seeing this kind of, I think of it as a bit of a convergence or maybe it's like a Venn diagram or something of this like impact side of the house where a lot of us have played for many years, which is like, do the right thing be a purpose-driven company, engage your employees, give back, and be strategic and think about how you can marry business value and social value, right? With this like risk lens of, ooh, but there's like also this stuff does touch finance and it does touch risk. And there are ways we should be measuring and reporting on that that are like, in some cases, going to be regulated. You have these two things converging. And in the middle are people like me who are just trying to figure out what's happening. And how do you take this momentum from having all the money be moving toward ESG, which is money makes the world go round, right? But also hold on to the integrity and the like, the core goodness of what an impact lens should be doing for the world through business and put those things together. We're trying to figure it out. What do we call this? What do we call ourselves? What do we call our teams? What's in, what's out? What's the scope? It's all evolving quickly. But I think that the biggest takeaway for me right now is that We've never seen energy like this before. We've never had a bigger opportunity as impact professionals to influence the business and to get things on the agenda that don't just help the business, but help the world. But we also have to learn that risk language and we have to learn that risk and reporting competency and bring that into what we do and what we know. For sure. Thanks, Erin. Evie and I are certainly eager to and always constantly trying to figure it out as well. And that's why we absolutely love hosting this podcast is because we get to piece it together from so many different perspectives, especially from folks like you, Erin, who have been in the space for a decade and can really help us better understand and analyze where corporate responsibility has been and where it's moving in the future and just get us excited about all the opportunities. And I love how you worded it, right? out of this space's history, like this is the most exciting time. And hopefully it gets increasingly exciting as more and more people get involved and more companies see the benefits and pour more resources and awesome, smart, creative, talented individuals like you into that area. So that's awesome. And a perfect segue into our next discussion about ESG in particular. So we yeah. would love to hear from you, Aaron. Do you think that businesses can or always should be growing with ESG or DEI goals in mind and kind of businesses at all stages? Do you think like really young businesses can start out like really young startups with these principles in mind? Or do you think it's more once businesses mature, they transition? And obviously we talked a little about Octa's example. And then what advice do you have to give to startup founders or businesses who are trying to create a successful business that sustainably and financially savvy wise can practice corporate social responsibility? I think, first of all, let's just talk about public companies yeah. for a sec. You would hope, those of us who listen to this podcast would hope that companies would be doing these things voluntarily because they want to do the right thing, make the right impact, help and not harm the planet, et cetera. But let's just say not all of them do. <laughs> That's why I have a job. <laughs> That's okay. But some of this stuff is going to be regulated pretty soon. Folks aren't going to have a choice, right? There's like SEC rules 
imminently coming down that are going to regulate disclosure of greenhouse gas emissions for U.S. public companies. Europe is already pretty far ahead and already has even more like regulation and disclosure requirements for companies. So I believe climate change isn't just going to go away tomorrow. Like it's only getting worse and more intense. And that's just one issue and one example. This stuff is inevitable. Companies are going to have to report on it. There's going to be standards. There's going to be ways of doing it. It's going to become compliance on the base level. And so to anybody who's just like, should you do it? Should I? Like, yes, you're going to have to do it right now. It's going to take a while. Depends how big you are, your size, your stage, your country of where you do business, whatever. But this is where the world is going. I'm very convinced of that. And you see it again in these financial markets that are pulling us that way and these regulatory changes that are pulling us that way. So like it's happening. That's my first answer. Now, when you look at what do big companies do versus small companies, how do you resource it? That's a totally different question. I think that's the right question to ask, especially if you're a founder or if you're even just an employee of a company and you're trying to figure out how to help your company do the right thing. I think that for very small companies, while the resources to implement complex programs may not be there, the power of setting just even an intention and a signal now is going to pay dividends later. For example, with what Okta did, Okta took a pledge, in this case, the 1% pledge, and sent that signal out. They didn't have me, they didn't have a team, they didn't necessarily know how to implement it, but that signal called people like me to the company to go work there and go figure it out. I think for early stage companies and founders, like I would think less about, if you think about it from like a resource implementation perspective, you're going to freeze and you'll be so overwhelmed that you won't do anything. And the danger with all of this is that everybody's so overwhelmed by the problems or by the resources it takes to fix them that they just freeze and do nothing. We can't have that. That's not going to save the world. So I think what early stage companies should be thinking about is like, what signals can I set? And to give themselves some grace to say, I'm going to set a signal out there. I'm going to start talking about my intention on this, knowing that I don't yet know how we're going to actually get to the end of the race. Set a signal and do one thing. (laughs) That's my advice. doesn't matter what it is. And I think that if folks can get their heads wrapped around that, you put it out there and like stuff starts coming to you to help you figure out how to take the next steps and the next steps. So that's what I would encourage people to focus their energies on. Thanks for sharing that advice. And on the topic of signals, we talked in an earlier conversation about how some companies can hide behind a facade of following ESG practices for PR purposes. And we were wondering, how do we as consumers and people who want to work at these firms pierce through the curtain of ESG virtue signaling and knowing if a company is actually creating an impact? Yeah, this is one of the places that we all have tremendous power. As Like you said, as consumers and as employees of companies, I use data probably once a week from surveys that say consumers can sniff out BS, employees can sniff out BS, they want this stuff to be there and they want it to be for real. I use that all the time because it, there's so much data and research that says that that's true. And I think like anecdotally, we just all live in the lives we live and we know that's true because that's how we feel. I worry less about this company's just doing it for PR business than I did before because I think it's like it will correct itself because the audiences, whether it's consumer or employee audiences, are already sniffing out stuff and making their decisions about where to work or what to buy based on what's real and what's not. Like folks are savvy. 
And then I think the other piece of that is what I said earlier, is like as this stuff on the ESG front becomes more like standardized, regulated, accountable, et cetera, comparable across companies and industries, that's going to take care of a lot of this too, because you can't fudge your numbers if it's, if you have to report them the same way you have to report your financial data. So I think that an end to this, maybe not an end, maybe there'll always be some marketing sizzle on top of this stuff. But I think again, like of all the problems right now in the, in our field that we're trying to solve, this one isn't burning in at the top of my list right now. I think it's, I think it's working itself out. Totally makes sense. Yes. I think just as you mentioned, consumers are savvy and I think employees are as well. And people really want to feel like it's genuine. And I think people, consumers and employees are demanding more and more like data driven impact results. So I definitely think it's not as big of a problem as perhaps it was before, which is a great thing. We're curious too, Erin, how can individuals, young students like ourselves or young professionals or anybody at any age really who are interested in a career in corporate social responsibility similar to your role put themselves in a position to actually achieve this type of role and succeed? Maybe particularly any specific traits or strategies you can suggest for future social impact leaders to start to cultivate. Yes. I have a very different answer to this question than I did probably five years ago. Oh, let's hear it. I think five years ago, I would have said, do what I did. Find a team, raise your hand, volunteer, get involved. My answer now is a lot more specific and urgent because I think the world is more urgent in terms of what it needs from us. Every single company will need to track, report, and build programs around material ESG issues. And there are not enough human beings on the planet to do that today. When you think about specific knowledge on even just like greenhouse gas emissions accounting, there's not enough people to go count the emissions, let alone figure out how to reduce them. And that's one issue. Again, if you think about other issues like workforce development, right? If you think about other issues around DEI, there's just not enough people with this experience in companies and consultants and regulators and startups. So we need everybody to be working on these things, in my opinion. So I now advise people to think more broadly about it. There are roles like mine, yes, and there are ways to chart a course into roles like mine. But if you're a lawyer, if you're a corporate accountant, if you're a marketing leader, right? If you're a finance business partner to somebody in a company, you're going to need to know about this stuff too. And actually the ways in which you can marry impact and ESG and purpose into your core competency of your day job is what's missing right now and is what we need. And that's the gap. I can't fill that gap with my knowledge. My team can't fill that gap. Like we need those partners. So I would think less about like how to get into an impact career in such like a box. And I would think much more about how do I marry maybe the other skills or interests I have with what the impact lens or like impact accelerant is on that job and think about those two things together. And then when you get inside a company, you get inside your first job, just talk it up, make it happen, make connections, advocate for it, be a voice for it because you will be heard in ways that I don't think had the opportunity to hear people before on this stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much for that advice. I'm sure all of our listeners will take that to heart, especially because they are interested in impact. We have a last question, which is, do you have any exciting plans for the future relating to Octa for Good? Any mixed big projects that you're working on? We would love to hear. Yes. Oh my goodness. We just set our sort of first long-term climate commitments that we're 
science-based emissions reduction targets that were just verified by the Science-Based Targets Initiative, which is one of these standardizing bodies that helps make sure that there's integrity behind what organizations are doing in terms of their reduction commitments. So now, you know, the targets are out there and now we have to actually start to work against them. So that's a huge focus right now, taking up lots of energy and we're excited about that. The other really cool thing in a totally different area of our world is we've been doing a ton of work in funding cybersecurity efforts to protect civil society organizations from cyber threats. Like every organization, everyone hears about a new hack every other day in the news of a big company. Nonprofits are under the same threats with typically much higher stakes in terms of the vulnerable communities and people that they protect and serve, and also far fewer recesses, resources to deal with that. So we're making some big philanthropic investments, some, some sort of product investments as well to try and be loud and be loud about that problem so that we can bring others in to help address it. It's really urgent, really important. So that's two things top of mind right now. Yeah. Those are fantastic, Erin. Everything you were doing at Okta is honestly, quite frankly, wicked cool and 100% <laughs> genuinely impactful. So we love to hear it. This has been an absolutely fantastic episode. We are so happy to host you on the I Impact podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, talk to you soon. Thanks, Erin. Thank you. Thanks.